So John, 30, John 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that... I would, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also go where I am. Where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you will know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Thanks, Campbell. All right. <laughs> You're probably going to hear Daddy a lot as, I, as I'm preaching, because Caleb can see me, and he's not used to that as, as I go. Um, I wonder what, what you thought about when you were hearing those words from, from Jesus. Uh, you know, we've got this, this great passage about uh, houses having many rooms, the Father's house has many rooms. Now, I don't know about you. I live in Pran, as I said earlier. We live in a tiny two-bedroom house. Flat. Let's, let's be realistic. It's a flat. <laughs> and, you know... When I when I read these words, and and even if you've if you read these in an older translation, you'll you'll have read that the, my father's house has many mansions. Hold on, wait, that's that's mansions. They're not even just rooms in a house. This is just mansions. This, this is something that's that's immense. And I wonder what you think. This is this is like the great Australian dream on steroids. It's you know not not just. Uh, three bedrooms and a 700 square meter block of land out in the suburbs where you can kick a football. This is mansions in the sky. I mean, who knows how many Christian bands have written, uh, written songs about this. I can count at least five. Um, you know, a, a very big house. But I, I kind of wonder, when, when, when I think about this, you know, staying here in Kensington, surrounded by flats on, on, on the sides and, you know, we live in an area of housing stress in Australia. But is that what Jesus is actually talking about? Is he talking about, you know, when you get to heaven, it will all be good and you won't have to worry about your uh, three bedrooms and, and en suites on each, off each room. Your, that $2 million 
apartment that you uh, desire in North Melbourne or in Docklands, it'll all be fine. You know, don't don't worry about it because you've got a, a mansion in the sky coming. Uh, I just I don't I just don't think that Jesus is going there, and I especially don't think that the disciples would have thought thought so as well, because if you notice uh, in this passage, Thomas's uh, reply to to Jesus about if I'll go pre- prepare a place for you is not oh can I have the bathroom the one with the bathroom with this orientation off off that plan thank you very much, it's Lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way. It's not even how can we know where you're going, but the way to where you're going. So I wonder if our conception of this passage that w- instantly, I think, springs to mind as Australians, or for that matter, you know, th- the majority of the Western world living in places where we'd like a, a bit bigger a house or um, more room to play, is actually correct. And... That question from Thomas, I think, gives us a bit of a key as to where Jesus is going with this. Where our Western conceptions of uh, houses and security and uh, the places that we would like to be and the place where we'd like to live probably have a little bit uh, more of a jump to make from what Jesus is saying to where we are in the West. So let's uh, go through the passage and we'll going to be looking at three different aspects of this. So first one is this question of houses. You know, is is this just, you know, an example of safest houses and she'll be right in the end, so therefore don't worry about the house you live in now and uh, you, you can do whatever you want in th- this world in terms of housing because you'll get that mansion in the sky later. We'll be ha- then thinking about what Jesus says in, the, in his first reply to Thomas. I am the way, the truth and the life. And... Then finally, we're going to be thinking about the, resp- the second response uh, that Jesus makes in, to Philip, uh, looking at the, the nature of this future, uh, the, the new identity uh, that Jesus is uh, talking about. So I've gi- already given you a bit of a clue. Uh, if, you, if you've been listening, I've said identity about five times this morning already, and that's a low count for me. Uh, I've... I do come from a social identity background, so social psychology, so uh, keep an ear out for, those, for that keyword. So, Thomas's question, Tom, that first response to Jesus. What's, what's Thomas talking about here? You know, is, it, is it merely that he doesn't know the physical location of, of this father's house? Or is it, is it something a little bit more? And certainly, Thomas seems to, to get where Jesus is going with this. And he links it straight back to what you were looking at last week uh, in uh, John 13. Simon Peter's question about, uh, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replies, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you'll follow later. This isn't so much about the destination, but it's about the route to the destination. It's about the path, the way that is going. And so if it's about the way that is that uh, is to be walked along the way that they are to go, then I don't think this is so much about the house at the end of the road as the journey to get there. You see, one of the things that Jesus, and, and certainly John as the writer recording this, he sort of picks up on the marriage analogy which John the Baptist gives way, way back uh, in John 3. And there in John 3, 
uh, John the Baptist talks about, there is one coming, uh, the bridegroom who is to come, for whom John is not, not even worthy to untie the sandals. And this imagery that Jesus talks about, about I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you, and if I go pr- and prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you with me, actually evokes a whole bunch of this imagery for his audience. So in the a- ancient Near East, in, in Jesus' time, if you were to get married, it wasn't that, you know, this modern uh, concept of, you know, you get down on one knee and you give a ring, uh, or in, and then, you know, you, you, wander, you, you, you go away from that place where you've got the ring, you, you spend a few months um, preparing for a wedding, and then you have the wedding, and then you probably move to a new house together. Let's clarify that. Uh, it, it was actually much more in terms of the majority of these weddings were arranged marriages. Uh, so the groom and their father would come to the village. Let's, you know, the, they had a, quite a, a big thing about uh, intermarriage within family. So you went to the next village along, or, or to one that was several villages away. You organised with the the family of the of the bride to be, and you you became betrothed. You know, we we see a, an example of this in Joseph and Mary, at, and at the start of the of the, of the Gospels, at the start of Luke, you know, they're betrothed at that point, but they're not married yet. Traditionally, in, in Jewish culture, a the br- the groom would then toddle off back to the father's house, and because the firstborn son had the responsibility of looking after the father's house, wouldn't, you know, just settle in in the master bedroom, but would build an extra room off at the side, would literally prepare a room in the father's house for the bride, for the family that was going to be coming. But for the, gr- for the bride, on the other hand, and I think we see this because, you know, all throughout the Gospels, there's always um, marriage imagery, and uh, we see it especially in the parable that Jesus tells about the um, about the the bridesmaids who are looking out for the for the groom to come. Who knows when the the groom's going to come back? Who knows where he's gone? All they know is he's gone to prepare a house, gone to prepare a room for them. The bridesmaids are there to look out to say to the to the bride, "Hey, look, your, your husband to be is coming back. You better get prepared now." <laughs> Get that dress on. We're going to have a party. You're going to get married. And so in, in that way, Jesus is telling his disciples, in, in the very same way that you see every single woman in your, every single girl in your society waiting expectantly for their, their groom to come back after preparing a house, after preparing a room for them, so to you. And furthermore... I think this explains why we have such a, a hang-up about this rooms thing. You know, is it a mansion? Is it just something for later on, or is it something for now? What's the relationship there? It, because if it is just something for later on, if it is, uh, to use the, the crass term, just pie in the sky when you die, then this house is the thing that we're looking forward to. Everything gets deferred until then. And I think that's unhealthy in, our, in the Christian life. We, we're looking forward to something that's just to come, so it doesn't matter what happens now, everything can just go by the wayside because we've got something better to come. That's, that's a great form of hope, except that when that thing that you're hoping for 
eventually arrives, what do you have? Well, you have the thing that you're hoping for, but you don't necessarily have the hope itself. Conversely, a lot of people uh, talk about this concept as just steak on the plate while you wait. Is it, is it just, you know, what is to come will come, it is what it is, it's not what it's not, and the, what we have to do now is follow this way that Jesus is talking about. The rooms are for later, ignore them, just worry about the way. And in that case, I think similarly too, hope becomes a bit of an impossibility because it seems to be stretching out so far away from us that all the steak in the world on our plate just makes us fatter and we don't ever get to the end to stretch that analogy really, really far. And the key, pa- the key part that I think we miss in both of those, both of those concepts by uh, making it all about the hot house or all about the way is that Jesus isn't talking about physical houses or physical paths to walk along. If you notice, Jesus in verse 4 says, you know the way to the place I'm going. But then Jesus, uh, then when Thomas challenges him, we don't, we don't actually know the way. Thomas, that great spokesperson for all the disciples, um, we don't know the way, Jesus. We've been with you for a while, but we still don't know the way. Jesus answered, I am the way. The next of those great I am statements that Jesus makes throughout John's Gospel. And so, I think in this passage, rather than focusing on the way itself, the, the present aspects, or just the rooms, those future aspects, Jesus is calling us to talk about the bit in that spans the two. So just like a, a marriage or this is one of my gripes about uh, the way we talk about marriage in the West, we talk about the wedding, please come to the wedding of so-and-so and so-and-so. We don't talk about the marriage which is, which is to come. But both the engagement and the marriage, with the wedding as the pivot between them and the engagement, like the actual engagement action at the start, it's all about relationship. It's not about the events that act as markers for, those rela- for that relationship. And so Jesus' sec- Jesus' second set of, of words, his first response uh, to to Thomas's question, we don't know. Jesus gives this kind of cryptic thing. You know, if, if and if Thomas is asking about the the physical way, then Jesus says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." What what's the go there? <laughs> You know, how can someone, like, you know, this word way, we, we have very few ways in the West, but it, a way is literally a path. You know, it's something you walk on. How can a way be a person? What, what, what's happening here? I think that's where our, our passage from Deuteronomy uh, 5 that uh, was read earlier really helps uh, for that as well. Uh, so if, if you feel like flicking across, f- feel free to flick across uh, Deuteronomy, end of Deuteronomy 5. 
there's this whole Old Testament background about the way in the Israelite uh, circumstances. Deuteronomy 5, that, that passage that was read at the start, comes straight after the Ten Commandments. It's all about these are the things that you should do. So therefore, be careful to do what the Lord has commanded you, verse 32. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you possess. In our rules-based society, um, we, we tend to think of rules, you know, don't speed, don't cross on a, on a red light. All these things I have to try and teach my son who, wants to, who, who sees an ambulance on the other side of the road and goes, oh, I want to run over and see what that is. You know, we, as a father, the thing that I find myself saying to Caleb the most is, oh, well, two words, no and don't. <laughs> Don't do that. You're going to be, be hurt. Don't do this. You're going to be um, squashed by a car. Don't. N- no, you can't have more biscuits because you've had 15 packets already this morning. You know, we we think in these rules-based terms. But these rules, the Ten Commandments, as well, are there not because they're they're not they're not there just as static rules, but they're there for because they're rules that enable the relationship. They enable the relationship between God and humanity. If you, if you remember back to the start of that, uh, that passage, um, the, the, leaders of, the leaders of the tribes tremble in fear be, and they wonder whether they're going to die before God because he's an all-consuming fire, so therefore we better have these rules that we can follow so we don't get squished or burnt to a crisp. The rules aren't there as uh, as things that you have to do in and of themselves. They're there as things that enable a relationship. That's the Old Testament background to the way. And it's in, in throughout the Old Testament, these are the, the way, the way of righteousness, the path of righteousness, all these terms, the way in Isaiah, the, the way that leads to Zion, are terms about a path to follow that lead to truth, and life. So perhaps it's unsurprising there that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, back in our passage in John 14. And maybe that's less objectionable for us as modern Christians. But for the people around us, the people who are off playing sport, people in, the, in, the, uh, in any area around us, the thing that is more objectionable than Jesus is the way, the truth, and life is not the way, the truth, and the life, but it's the definite articles at the start of those. The. The way. The truth. The life. And then that, uh, that sentence that um, comes straight after that, no one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 6. And, uh, verse six. There's this... Jesus isn't just talking about a way, a truth, a life. But the abhorrent thing to our society, uh, and I suspect it's just as much here in Kensington as it is in Pran, and it's just as much anywhere I've ever been in the world, is that Jesus is saying here, there is only one way to the Father. There is only one way to the Father's rooms, the house, the, uh, that end 
the the relationship that you go to get there there is only one of them there's not multiple and in our modern society i think that's quite objectionable you know i i don't know if you've heard this analogy before 10 blind men walk into a room they're in the Smithsonian Institute of Natural, Natural History. They walk into a room and they start f groping their way around and feeling what they can, what, what they can, I was about to say, feeling what they can see. That makes no sense whatsoever. They're feeling what they can feel, feeling what's in the room. And one of them, you know, wraps his arms around this, this big thing and he goes, I think that what this is in this room is a tree. A massive tree, you know, big and strong and planted. And and another blind person, uh, she she caresses her hand down this uh, long um, piece, and it's kind of thin. Goes, I think what's in this room is a rope. It's just a rope. And another um, blind person uh, feels this this sort of wavy thing and, and goes, No, no, it can't be a tree or a rope. It's definitely a blanket. It's absolutely a blanket. And they're all wrong. It's an elephant. One's been grabbing the, the, the feet of the elephant, big and strong and planted. The other one's been stroking the tail of the elephant, which is, um, which is dangling down. And the, and, the, and the third has been playing with its ear. And that analogy gets given for, all of, for religion and access to God. You know, one religion says it's all about um, the the trunk. Another one says it's all about the the tail. And so, what's it so abhorrent to our society is that Jesus is saying, actually, no, this isn't just about an elephant. Th it's not just different descriptions of the one thing in the room, but there is only one thing in the room, and Jesus is it. <laughs> I know what it is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Tom Wright says it uh, really well. Uh, he says, The belief that all religions are really the same sounds nice and democratic, though the study of religions quickly shows that it isn't true. What you're really saying if you claim that they're all the same is that, well, none of them are more than distant echoes, that they're all distorted images of reality. You're saying that reality, God, the divine, is remote and unknowable, and that neither Jesus, nor Buddha, nor Moses, nor Krishna gives us access to it. They all provide a way to the foothills of the mountain. But they don't show you the way up to the summit. Jesus blows that out, out of the water for our society. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, it cuts at the very core of that assumption. There is only, according to Jesus, according to John, there is only one way to the Father. And perhaps that's unsurprising if uh, this is less about a room at the end than about a marriage. Polygamy isn't exactly common in our society, and it wasn't in, certainly wasn't in Jesus' society, Jesus' day either. If the way, the truth, and life is about a relationship with one person, then the marriage analogy fits like a glove. There's one bridegroom and one bride, the church. Not one of many grooms 
or one of many bridegrooms or my, one of many brides just one so Jesus is saying here that there is one means of access it's a contentious claim in our modern society but one that I think leads to the relationship and points towards that relationship which is which is being espoused here. So, second response to Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And indeed, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So, Philip. Wonderful guy. Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. It sounds kind of humble, doesn't it? It's okay, we don't actually need you know, all of this preparation of a room. We don't need you to go to all this effort of, um, of doing this stuff for us. Just show us the Father. That's fine. You know, if it was a tweet, this would be tagged at the end with hash, hashtag humble not humble. <laughs> this, is, this is Philip going... I don't need to know the way, the truth, uh, you know, all these convoluted things. Just show me the Father. That'd, that'd be great for me. Thanks. Well, and what's Jesus' response? Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been you, with you such a, lo- such a long time? It's, it's, there's this note, there's this tone of disappointment there. Don't you know? He just doesn't get it. Jesus is not just a means of accessing the Father, like uh, the the Uber driver that you pay to get to the party across town, the means of access. But he is the revelation of the Father. It's like the Father has sent the Son in that Uber to come pick you up. It's not not just this one uh, person who's taking you there, the the bargeman across the river, if you like. But I think actually Philip's response to Jesus tells us something and speaks to us a, a, a quite a salient, a powerful message. It's a very human request. Yes, I get all this theology, this, you know, these great theological statements about the way, the truth, and the life, you know, following along this path of righteousness, uh, I understand how these things work, these theological treaties. But really, just just show me some proof of it. Thank you very much. (laughs) We want to see, uh, as humans, we want to see personal confirmation of these theological ideas. As a theologian, you know, I spend the majority of my week studying theology, teaching theology, tutoring, you know, trying to have uh, help students understand uh, why it is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. What what implications does that have? You know, how how is it um, to take a conversation? I'm going to pick Sham, uh, pick up on Sham because I, I've talked with her a lot recently. You know, things things like if um, if there are if there are demons in this world, you know, if there is a spiritual 
reality beyond it. How, how do we wrestle with that in, in terms of our theology? How, how does that impact on our theology? But even, even in my sort of professional position, at the end of the day, I inevitably I get to this point where I'm like, Gee, you know, the theological ideas are great. I can spend all my time in that, you know, go to conferences on it. But if I don't have any personal confirmation of that, if there's no personal aspect to it, it's just ideas. It's just things that we're thinking. And there's that heart-mind disconnect where the mind might know, but the heart is starved. I go, to, I go to academic conferences in theology. Don't think I don't see it all the time. It's scary. And so what's Jesus' response to, to Philip's heartfelt desire? Just want to see the Father. Well, Jesus says to him, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Not only, uh, so don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus is saying to Philip, you know, you've got it wrong, but you're, you're so close at the same time. You, you understand the theological concept, but you've missed the relationship, that relationship which uh, Jesus is pointing towards, which Jesus is, the relationship with him. And if you remember back to Deuteronomy, when we were talking about that, th what Philip's asking for is actually kind of scary. Uh, Philip's asking for a relationship with or to see the person who all of the Israelite fathers were so s afraid that they were going to be consumed with fire and burnt to a crisp. And yet he's like, oh, yeah, just, just let me see the father. It'll be nice. <laughs> Jesus is saying, I am the Father for you. I am the Father is I am in the Father and the Father is in me. There is a relationship there. So I think for our modern ears, where we try and figure out this supernatural, natural divide and we get the ideas and we don't necessarily get the heart. How do we know that God exists? Well, in many ways, it's simple. It's because Jesus existed. It's because Jesus exists now. Jesus is saying in verse 11, if you don't believe in the metaphysical correlation between the Father and the Son and the, the, that nature of the Trinity, and then simply believe in the physical acts. You believe in the physical Son and, the, and that relationship will extend on, expand on further. So he says, believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Those works are the ones you'll have to jump back in the entire sermon series, I think Pete is saying. Uh, you did the Book of Signs a little while ago. Uh, if you want to read about those works or hear about those works, chapters 1 to 12 is what, uh, is what John is talking about. That's the works he's talking about. So believe in Jesus as he reveals a father. That same father, that same God, that couldn't even be seen in the Old Testament lest you be burnt to a crisp. Jesus reveals that to, um, to Philip, to the disciples, and ultimately to us. So what's the, wh what's the take home for us? If 
if Jesus is talking here about marriage and a marriage relationship, not a physical home, if, if the major is on the marriage relationship, not that physical home, then the reality is for us about more about identity and our new identity that we have and less about being able to kick a football in a rounding yard. It's, it's, it's probably unsurprising that family is the overriding metaphor for the church in the New Testament and in the Old Testament for that matter as well. The difference is that, you know, the, the Jews in the Old Testament were literally a family. Everyone was, you know, blood relationship to each other unless you'd married in, in which case you were a marriage relationship. You are, we are family in yeah, that song. Um, but that applies to us as well. There's two great metaphors for the church in the New Testament. Adoption and marriage. Possibly my two favourite topics to talk on. I wonder why. Um, So if Jesus is calling the disciples to a new mission, it's not based on the rooms that have come. It's based on the relationship that he has with them as the bridegroom to the bride. It's a a family mission. It's a a family on mission. And that's uh, one of the reasons why I think it's great when Pete talks about us, uh, the church, and you guys in the West as a family, uh, because it's true. And it's one of the things that uh, is starkly lacking in our modern society, I think. And if, it, if we're a family then, it's less about the pie in the sky when you die or the steak on the plate while you wait. But it's the hope that sustains us now for the wedding feast in the end. If you want more on the wedding feast, read Isaiah. Uh, I don't have enough, way don't have enough time to go into that. I could talk on that for quite a while. That hope isn't just hope for now or hope for the future, but it's hope in the relationship that is to come. When Jill and I were engaged, it wasn't, we, we had an engagement of 12 months. Um, we'd been dating for four years or something before that. It wasn't about you know, when, when, when you get married, you know, you, you don't hope in the marriage day. You hope it goes well, absolutely. But y- it's about the relationship. It's about the, the marriage days to come from that point onwards. And if I can stretch this marriage analogy just a little bit further, then the ring that we have been given as the bride... Will Jesus will introduce to the disciples in the next passage. Well, next two passages from um, verse 15 onwards. The Holy Spirit is that seal, the ring of betrothal. It's the guarantee that he will come back after preparing the house for us. That The guarantee of that relationship. So ultimately, that's the story that we should be telling about this. I think too often the church has t- told a story about the, the home in heaven, the mansions that we're going to be receiving in the end, when the story that we should be telling on is more about the relationship that we have now that is going to extend on. And just as any family uh, has different family traditions, uh, different things that you do as family, then so too our identity as a new family in Christ has different identity markers, different things that we do. This is one of them. 
that we're about to do after this. The Lord's Supper is one of those family things that you do, just like when John, my parents, we alternate Christmas, and that's a family thing. We, my parents didn't care about Christmas until I got married. Now, they do care about Christmas because it's one of the few times in the year they get to see us. <laughs> that's a family tradition for us. This is a family tradition for us as the bride of Christ. So let me pray and as we end there. Father God, uh, I thank you that uh, this is that your word teaches us, uh, teaches us in our head and in our hearts. Uh, I thank you that this isn't just uh, pie in the sky when we die, and it's not just all about now or just a steak on the plate, but that rather we have a, a relationship with you that we can come before you, uh, that you are our bridegroom, uh, that we are in a relationship that will lead uh, to, to, uh, to the eventual marriage. And we pray that you would help us to be enacting that identity, being part of that family, telling that story. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.